Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you, our God. May the Holy Spirit work to renew our minds and to make us the people of God, not only in word but in deed. I present myself to you, O God, that I will say nothing from this location that will send an uncertain sound about God or about his word or about his church. I pray that you will guide me that truth will be proclaimed, not truth that I make up, but truth that comes from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am going to read an introduction where I got the idea of the title, The Most Powerful Weapon. Nathan Sharansky, who was once, at one time, the Minister of Eternal, Internal Affairs for Israel, Saransky was imprisoned for many years under the yoke of the Russian Gulag. Years later, when visiting the prison outside Moscow, where he had been put into solitary confinement during the dark days of the Cold War, he asked if he could go into his old cell alone, and he spent a few minutes there. Then he brought in his wife and said to her, this is where I found myself. Victimized by a brutal atheistic regime, regime, he found harbor once again in realizing the value of human life. It was not by accident that he asked to go in to the grave of the great Russian physicist Andrei Sakharov, who gave the Soviet Union the hydrogen bomb. And as Sharansky addressed the media, he spoke of Sakharov's declaration, and here it is, that he had always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb. He had always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb. When in reality, the most powerful weapon is the truth. Why is truth so important? As Guinness writes, skeptics and relativists who undermine the notion of truth are like the fool who is cutting off the branch on which he is sitting. Without truth, Science and all human knowledge collapse into conjectures. Without truth, the vital profession of journalism and how we follow the events of our day and understand the signs of our times dissolves into rumor. Without truth, the world of politics and business melt down into rules and power games. Without truth, the precious gift of human reason and freedom becomes license and all human relationships lose the bonding elements of trust that is binding at their hearts. 
we then, as followers of Christ, are unashamed to stand before the world as servants and guardians of a high view of truth, both our Lord, for our Lord's sake, but also for the highest endeavors of humanity. Truth is needed, but the question is, where do we find it? We know all too well what has been happening. I kept listening this past week to Governor Christie. And, and whether he's telling the truth or not, we don't know. But the fact is that up until last week, he was riding the crest of being the most popular governor in the United States. Today, they're not so sure of that because they don't know whether he's telling the truth. In our text this morning, as was read, we were told about the fact that we are to prepare ourselves with the, ba- the, the waistline of truth. We'll come to that in a minute. But I want to identify truth for you. It is important that you listen to this. Turn, if you please, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 17. Listen as I read. John 17, verse 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He is pouring out his heart before his Father. And he prays to his Father in verse 16. And he says this, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. And then he tells us where the truth is to be found. Thy word is truth. Jesus is is the Son of God, the Word made flesh. In John 17, 15, he said, I have delivered thy word. So Jesus is saying that the truth, the truth, is to be found in thy word, God's word. They express the most sacred moment in Christ's life. And please listen. I love again C.S. Lewis in Christian, uh, Mere Christianity. He, he said this, that you cannot say that Jesus was simply a good man and if he's a good man would simply say the things he's saying because the things that he's saying are things that are just out of this world. And he said, I and the Father are one. If he was simply a good man, he wouldn't make such a statement in a casual way. He must be speaking the truth. So I have given them the word. Jesus came into the world to give us the truth. And he's saying that the truth is not something that has been developed by a few in ancient history so that we might take it to mean what we want it to mean today. Thy word. Now when it says thy word, he's telling us this, that God is a communicating God. 
God is a communicating God. Not only does he, did he bring creation into existence by speaking it, but he speaks to our souls by communicating to us with words. With words. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In times past, at a certain point in human history, God broke the silence from heaven and he came into the world and he spoke. Truth is not a human invention. Uh, may I just say something? There's, there's a difference between what is true and what is truth. You see, let me use the simple illustration that I said this, this morning. It is true that that lady came up to me and asked if I was whom I said I, he, she said. That was true. But the truth, the truth was that it was not Bill Cosby. <laughs> it was somebody else. See, something can be true, but that does not make it truth. And we're living with that today. We have, for example, it is true that this country has legalized abortion, but that does not make it truth. So there's a difference between what is true and what is truth. And Jesus said, thy word is truth. Not scientific, not technological, but moral. Now I want to tell you, my friends, why this is so important. Please listen to this. According to a recent poll, 66% of Americans believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. 66%. Among young adults, the percentage is even higher. 72% believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. In fact, between the 18s and the 25, they do not even believe that truth exists. And by the way, some of them are teaching your children and grandchildren. This survey goes on. Listen to this. Moreover, the poll goes on to show that 53% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians believe that there is no absolute truth. Some of you might be sitting in here this morning who might be a part of that 53%. This means that the majority of those who say they believe in the authority of the Bible and know Jesus Christ as their Savior nevertheless agree that no such thing as absolute truth can be found in the Bible. Apparently, although 85% of evangelicals believe that the Bible is the written word of God and is totally accurate in all it teaches, 70% of all Americans claim this high view of Scripture 
which is practically the same number as those who say there is no absolute truth. The people who say that they believe that this is the Word of God and the people in the world who say they don't believe that anything such as absolute truth exists, the percentage is the same for Christians as well as non-Christians. Then, my friends, where do we go to find truth? The truth that is speak, spoken of here is not, is not scientific truth. Because the Bible is not a book of science. It's not technological uh, truth. Because the Bible is not a book of technology. We'll see what that means in a few minutes. The, listen, to, listen to this. The birth of a global culture means that all belief systems become aware of the other systems so that it is difficult to accept any of them as absolute truth. Jesus says, no way. In, in spite that, that we are now a global village, there is, my friends, a truth that speaks to all cultures. This is why missionaries would go to different countries, not because they want to change the culture of, the, of the, the, the country they go to, but because they want to bring the truth for their souls to bear upon them. Thy word. Imagine that 80%, 80 88% of evangelicals believe that the Bible is the written word of God and it's accurate in all its teaches, yet 70% of all Americans claim that the scriptures is, is not absolute truth. You can see the difficulty, the confusion we're in today, where we have people changing God's word almost every year to say what it does not say. So thy word, Jesus is the one saying this, if he is the Son of God, he knows what he's talking about. And if he says, thy word is truth. You know, will you forgive me if I say, I, I heard the president of this country speaking some time ago, and he said this, and I quote almost verbatim. He said, I, I, I hope I will see the day when marriages between a man and a man and a woman and a woman be accepted as other his, hysteric, hysterical, historical marriages in the world. And I say to him, sorry, sir, the Bible has something to say what a marriage is. Jesus said that. And if you want to see two men and two women, that's fine. But your word is not the final word on this institution. God has spoken. Thy word is truth. And Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning, God made them male and female. And the de definition of marriage is not from the White House. It is from the throne of God. This, my friends, is what we're called to do. We've got to respond to what he says. Listen to what else Jesus said. This word 
Thy word is timeless, is a timeless word. A timeless word. Listen to this. It's a quotation. God's language existed before human beings and before the physical universe. Language indeed is intrinsic to the thought and to the person and to personality itself. Then he said, God's word is an intrinsic part of his unchanging being. So that God's word does not mean something in the first century that it doesn't mean in the 21st century. When God speaks morally, God's truth means what it meant then and what it means now. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. God is a God of truth without iniquity. He's just and he's righteous. The word truth, the word truth in the Deuteronomy text means firmness, unchanging, unshakable. This is not talking, my friends, that changes do not take place in, in, in society. Of course it does. But what it means, my friends, that when God speaks morally, it doesn't change. God does not mean something yesterday and means something else today. That truth is forever settled, says Psalm 119, verse 89. Thy word, O God, is settled. There is, there is no changing so that we don't need to live from, from day to day wonder what's going to be changing today, what's going to be changing tomorrow. And then quickly, the word is a tutoring word. It teaches us. Listen to what Jesus said. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So that God uses the truth to sanctify us. Now what does it mean to sanctify? I always think that this word sounds almost like a a sickness that you don't want to have. Sanctification. Uh, When I was a young Christian, people used to say, I'm saved and sanctified. And I wanted to know if they were going to take off in a few minutes, you know, with it. Listen, friends, put very simply, the word sanctification means to experience a change from one quality of life to another quality of life. To be sanctified means that God is producing a character of holiness in someone who was not holy before. Listen, listen to what the Bible says about the Word of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, talking about the Old Testament saints. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and the marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. So, So my friends, what God's word does 
God's word enters our minds and then to our hearts. And it begins to do a work that brings changes in your life, in my life. It changes my relationship or thoughts about God. It changes my relationship or thoughts about myself. It changes my relationship and thoughts about people. God corrects us in our wrong view of himself, our wrong view of ourselves, and the wrong view of people. What it means to pierce is to cut through. Some of us were born with with behavior that we learned from our parents, and some of those behaviors were wrong. And God, the Pharisees, had to learn that, and you and I must learn that. There were thoughts that that I heard from my dear mother that as I looked into the scriptures, I know what she, she meant well, but they were not biblical thoughts. They were not thoughts that, you know, when she gave me the thoughts that were biblical, I didn't want them. <laughs> and the worst thing to happen is to come to the place where you realize, I know that this is the background with which I was, was reared, but, but this is what the Bible, Jesus said that. You have heard it said by those of ancient time, you shall not. But I say to you, so when Jesus speaks, he speaks the truth about life, about relationships, about our thoughts, about God. Listen to how he puts it in in John chapter 8, verse 31. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is... He will cut errors and he will cut prejudicial thoughts and he will cut evil thoughts by his word like someone with a sharp implement going through and making a pathway so that he can come and rest in our hearts. He cannot rest when we maintain those thoughts that are not true. Does truth matter? Oh, friends, if we don't know it, we're still in prison by errors of yesterday. Truth identified. It is in God's word. Now we come to our text that was read this morning. Truth implemented. Truth implemented. We're told that the the armor must be put on, and when the armor is on, you put on the belt. And this, my friends, is where, is where you put all the pieces on first, then you put your belt on. And, and the belt that you put on, the scripture says, using the analogy, is, is the belt of truth. So, so that you prepare yourself with the word of God, so that that word begins to cut away, and you begin to adjust your life. And everything that your life is adjusted to is based upon the truth. And that belt of truth is around your waist so that whatever direction you turn, that is what is prominent in your life. That is what is prominent in my life. Look, it's, the, it's, it's not the first piece you put on. It is the last piece you put on. Its prominence is indicated by the fact that it is the first piece mentioned 
but it's not the first piece you put on. You put on the undergarments first in the, the, the analogy of the past, not what we're looking at today, but all the things, the way they used to dress, the armor, and then you put that waistband around. Paul says, make the waistband truth. Gird yourself. To gird means to put around the waist to prevent any clothing from falling down or to prevent any tripping when running. It, it is, my friends, that which we, we prepare ourselves with to meet each day. Does truth matter? Do you know this past week? <laughs> 34 Air Force officers in charge of launching nuclear missiles have been suspended over charge that they cheated on their proficiency test. Imagine, these are Air Force officers who are in charge of launching missiles. And they were caught cheating. They were lying, in fact. One retired officer said, that is only the tip of the iceberg. Imagine. These people that we, we put in charge of protecting our lives are living by lies. I heard a very humorous story. Listen to this. You've got to pay attention to this. The baker was buying butter from the farmer. And the baker came to the conclusion that the farmer was somewhat cheating him on the weight of the butter. So when he could stand, when he could stand it no longer, he decided to take the farmer to court. And as the case was about to be tried, the judge threw the case out of court. Why? Because the farmer said to the judge, I, don't, I didn't know I was cheating, judge. But my scale was broken. And I was using a loaf of bread for my balanced scale. Some of you get it, others of you don't. <laughs> Who was making the bread? The baker. And he said, the farmer is cheating me. Well, he wasn't giving the bread the, the right weight. So the farmer was using his bread to balance his scale. And all of a sudden, the truth is coming out. Both of you are guilty of cheating. Let me suggest to you, friends, I'll tell you why. Because I want to suggest that not one of us, and I mean one of us, is immune to lying. Not one of us. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know what I found out in preparing for this message? There are 28 different categories for lying in the English language. 28. And each of the categories have their own nuances. 
So the best thing that you and I can do is to practice the truth. <laughs> because if we don't, we might be engaged in something we don't even know is going on. If there are 28 categories, I almost listed them for you, but I thought, no, you wouldn't be interested in that. <laughs> the prominence of truth. Jesus came into the world and he claimed to be the truth. And he says, I give them the truth. And now he wants us to practice the truth. While there are many other ways to show the essential need for truth, I've chosen two. Two. You remember the words found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks around seeking whom he may devour. That wherever the devil finds the opportunity to swallow someone up, he will. And the scripture says in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was on a diet, as it were, for 40 days. And he became hungry. And at that point of his hunger, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? This, my friends, was a spiritual conflict. The devil wanted Jesus to live materialistically, at the expense of the spiritual bread that God had given. When the devil is able to make me do something in my weakness, if I have nothing with which to respond to him, then he fills that spot, and like Ananias and Sapphira, he fills my heart with lies. Because he's alive from the beginning. So materialism is defeated by thus saith the Lord, thy word, man shall not live by bread alone. And there are people who live, my friends, like there is no truth to live by. They live by their experience. They live by what's happening today. If somebody does something to me, I'm going to get them back. Because there, there, isn't, there isn't anything that I have to protect me except myself. I was telling someone the other day, this, uh, I think last night, uh, talking about this, that this fellow ran out of gas on the, the highway and he left his car to go and get gas. He came back and he found someone breaking into his car. So he said to the guy, what are you doing? That's my car. And as soon as he said that, the guy put his hand in his pocket, pulled out a gun, and shot him. This happened in Oregon. What am I getting at? My friends, left to ourselves without any control, we look for what we can taste and what we can see and what we can touch to deal with the issues of life. And there are certain things Jesus said, it is not worth it if you sell your soul for a loaf of bread and lose everything else. 
God's Word has something to say. That the material part of us is not all there is in life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, where was I? I was at a, going to a meeting. And the, 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 in fact, I had a meeting this past week. No, I know where it was. And, and my meeting was at 8.30 in the morning. And as I made my way to the meeting, I looked at my gas gauge, and I noticed it was almost smiling at me at E. It was at this time 20 minutes after 8. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I can keep driving, and I can speed up to get there, and then get someone to come and get some gas. They could call John or somebody to say that I'm out of gas. Friends, I'm just telling you that humorous story to say this. Even in little things like that, we can allow the Word of God to prick our conscience. If you speed, you will be violating your own conscience. Get late and say, I'm sorry I'm late because of this, but don't break the rules in order to get there on time. The material, you see, whatever we can do, whatever we can teach, whatever we can touch, that's what we're going to use. Jesus said, no, live by the word of God. Let it control you in the most, most difficult moments in your life. You can trust it. The devil take him to a second place. And he was dealing with his ego or personal ambition. He said, all these things I will give to you if you bow down and worship. No, I'm sorry. That's the third one. If, if, if you jump off this, this pinnacle, he will give his angels charge over you. This is personal ambition. Pride. Spiritual pride especially. Jesus, Jesus said, the word of God also answers to that. So on the one hand, you can bring a truth here, but biblical truth is balanced by biblical truth. The Bible also says, the Word of God also says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Thirdly, idolatry. That is the worship of self. I will give you all this if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, be gone, it is written. It is written. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him alone shall you worship. So for spiritual conflict, friends, Jesus met the devil head on with his word. With his word. Secondly, social conflicts. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. And this is related to, to Ephesians 6, by the way. It's a whole, the whole context is there. Ephesians 4.25. In fact, I want to read verse 24 before I read verse 25. Listen to what he says in verse 24. 
and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, having been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. If we are Christians and we are, we are being changed by God, He's sanctifying us. Here's what Paul says we will do. Therefore, speak the truth to one another. Laying aside falsehood, speak the truth. Huh. I, I tell you, friends, I, I could, without exaggeration, I could preach 25 messages on that. Martin Lloyd-Jones of another age wrote three books, almost 300 pages each on this one section. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, the Christian is not immune to lying and that's why he said, put it away. Let me quickly, let me quickly show you. Abraham, the father of faith, lied. David, the king of Israel, lied. Peter, the chief of the disciples, lied. I never knew him. Ananias and Sapphira lied. And my friends, see, truth produces trust. And trust builds relationship. And that relationship is like that of the Father. When I speak the truth to you and you to me, we will trust one another. We will encourage one another. If I speak, if I speak falsehood to you, I am damaging the relationship. I am damaging my own spirit. I am misrepresenting God. I close with this. Dr. Joe Stoll was the president of Moody Graduate School from which I had the privilege of studying. And in his book, Pastoring the, uh, Shepherding the Church in the 21st Century, Dr. Joe Stoll tells the story that he experienced. Early in my pastoral experience, my Sunday school superintendent reminded me to order the Sunday school materials for the next quarter. They need to be here in time for the teachers to prepare their new materials. I assured him I would be delighted to do it, and immediately I forgot. I didn't procrastinate. I didn't deprioritize in my mind. I simply straight out forgot. It never crossed my mind again. The following Sunday morning, I walked through the foyer, briefcase in hand, containing my precious message for the day. As I walked by the Sunday school superintendent, he asked, Oh, pastor, did you get the material? This is not his first response. This is what's going through his mind. I'm embarrassed to tell you, in fact, in fact, I trust you won't lose all confidence in my future as the president of Moody Bible Institute, which he was supposed to become later on. But without, without even thinking a second thought, 
I said, yes. As soon as that word came out of my mouth, my heart broke with shame and guilt. Wanting to protect my sense of significance, I, I walked resolutely to my office, shut the door, opened my briefcase to renew my sermon, to review my sermon. It was randomness in the rawest form. There I was, preparing to communicate the scripture from a God who can be nothing but truth. I would stand on his behalf and be a truth teller to the congregation, yet I had lied to protect my own sense of significance. My friends, the reason the text tells us to be girded with truth is because lying comes naturally to all of us. To all of us. And we must, we must be so prepared. That belt must always be there. That the highest concern for my life is that when I speak to you, when I communicate with you, it is on the ground of truth and not of self-significance. God help us. Let's pray. Oh God, you've called us to be men and women of truth because we are being recreated in your likeness. And oh God, I pray that the Spirit of God will do his work this morning in this place. That none of us will escape the holiness of God beating upon our hearts to make us aware of where we are guilty of not wearing the belt properly. But I thank you, Father, I thank you that you have promised that there is forgiveness with you. And if we are guilty of lying this morning, may we be ready to confess it to God because God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. And may we seek it, find it, and then be truth tellers in Jesus' name. Amen.